0: The Vancouver School of Theology is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. Welcome to Brüderholtz, a podcast of the Vancouver School of Theology. My name is Todd Weeb. I'm a friend of VST and really like what's happening around the school and how it's growing. I'm here today with Principal Richard Topping.
1: Ah, it's great to be here today. And today we're welcoming uh, Ross Lockhart. Ross is uh, the Reverend Doctor Ross Lockhart he is the Dean of St Andrews Hall, and he is uh, Associate Professor of Mission Studies at the Vancouver School of Theology. He holds degrees from the University of Winnipeg and Toronto, and a doctoral degree from McCormick Seminary, a Presbyterian Seminary in the United States. Uh, Ross is well published. We have his books on the table here in front of us, uh, three of them at least. There's more than that, but Ross is well published in the area of mission. Theology, which has been his forte. In fact, I have a collection here in which Todd and I have an essay, and we were just saying we think that may be Ross's That's a really good book. Yeah, yeah. that's an excellent book.
2: (laughs) You recommend that one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Anyhow, we're so glad to welcome uh, Ross today and to feel the good energy that he brings to almost every gathering that he's at. Um, Ross, how long have you taught and why do you do it? Great question,
2: and thanks so much for including me in this conversation. I've been listening to the podcast series and loving it, so I'm honoured to be a part of it today. So I started teaching adjunct at the Vancouver School of Theology in, two, I believe it was 2011. Um, thanks to our mutual friend, uh, Reverend Dr. Stephen Ferris, former dean of St. Andrew's Hall and professor of homiletics at the Vancouver School of Theology. And as um, Stephen was taking um, tremendous lead with an amazing group of people that's part of the turnaround story for the Vancouver School of Theology, he didn't have as much time in the classroom. So he knew that I did my doctoral work in homiletics, I was on the North Shore, and he had me filling in um, some classes, and that was such a joy to be able to to teach in those early days um, over in the old castle building. And then uh, in 2014, I uh, was appointed uh, at St. Andrew's Hall in a dual role Um, to be seconded to the Vancouver School of Theology, to be the Presbyterian Formation Director, and then to begin uh, a process that led to the Centre for Missional Leadership. So 2011 as the adjunct start, 2014 uh, full-time, and uh, may I say it has honestly been the highlight of my ordained ministry these last many, many years.
0: So you were in ordained ministry in 2011 when you began teaching and filling in. Correct. You were like a full-time minister.
2: Yeah, and I'd served across the country, uh, Nova Scotia, Ontario, and then out here in BC before coming into, uh, into
1: VST. Russ, what do you find about the classroom that's really interesting? So you're teaching yeah. the way. What, 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 where's life there?
2: Yeah, so I mean, VST has been amazing in the sense that um, from day one for me, it's been a hybrid classroom environment. I should say from day one uh, when I started full time, I do remember adjunct days when we were in the old castle building and that was all in person. Mm. Um, and so from the very beginning of my full time work here, it has always been I feel VST has been ahead of the curve on um, a mix of in person and distance education. Why is that a highlight? Um, To me, the gospel is both universal and contextual. And so the opportunity to discuss uh, theology uh, in a doctrinal sense, but to hear from so many different people uh, from around the world now in our classes, like it really is remarkable. I'm always humbled by the asynchronous students Mm -hmm who get up in, you know, Indonesia in the middle of the night to be in class with us. And then you see like a Vancouver-based student saying, wow, I'm really tired today. I think, come on, you know, (laughs) look at that guy. Um, And so the the global nature of the student body and the diversity of the student body, yes, from the constituent denominations represented at VST, United Church of Canada, Anglican Church of Canada, Presbyterian Church in Canada, but then also the, the other students from a, a beautiful variety of Christian denominations makes the conversation so rich, so rich.
0: So you came in, you said in 2014, appointed in terms of a Presbyterian mm-hmm. formation, and then the development of this Center for Missional Leadership. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that kind of...
2: Yeah, so that, that's at St. Andrew's Hall, and that is focused on resourcing the local church, not in any kind of degree program. So the charter from St. Andrew's Hall exercised through VST for the Presbyterians. Everything degree-focused is here at VST. Okay. And The Centre for Missional Leadership is about equipping uh, the local church and leaders, um, because whether it's in my the hat I wear now that I love, Professor of Mission Studies here at VST— or whether it's across the street as Dean of St. Andrew's Hall, we're dealing with the same reality that many, many of our churches and their leaders are just not sure what to do. They know the culture is changing. They know that people are no longer born nominally Christian in Canada. They struggle with how to translate the gospel into a rapidly changing society. And so in both hats that I wear, teaching for degree programs here and resourcing local churches across the street, it's uh, that sense of, of... Every day I'm dealing with the reality on the ground, which I love.
0: The question I had, one of the questions I had there was Mm -hmm. around denominationalism. And Mm. so St. Andrew's Hall is effectively like a a college of like, you've got the different denominations involved with VST being there. And and so in terms of denominationalism, like prospective students or people who are thinking of going to, that's broken down, hasn't it? Like, oh, that's the school for so-and-so or like, this denominational school or you'd have students here at VST who don't have a Presbyterian or, Anglican oh, yeah. or a United background. How, how's that transition? How does that go?
2: Yeah. Well, so, I mean, president Richard could, could comment more on that, but, but certainly from my experience, uh, we still have um, a strong showing in our three constituent denominations, but a huge growth area mm-hmm. is certainly those um, who would identify as Christian from maybe they identify with a denomination, but um, I just find people are holding denomination lightly these days, right? So, or they kind of will tell you what they've been, and they've been in multiple denominations, mm. right? And so, um, you know, or the the congregation they come from—that's more of a priority than whatever denominational banner is is on the sign, kind of thing, right?
1: Yeah, Ross, what do you think, I mean, this is connected to a question we, we thought we might ask you, is about what's exciting about the classroom. So let me mm. ask that this way. How does that kind of complexion in the classroom of various denominations, how, how does that help and yeah. uh, create an interesting environment to learn in?
2: Yeah, it's so good because, of course, you know, as if, if you belong... Uh, as, as we do, to uh, a franchise of European Christendom. If the denominational label you're attached to came from Europe, likely from a state church background, then the dominant story today is, oh, Christianity is declining in North America. But the, the reality of the BSD classroom is such that we have such a fascinating mix of students from around the world, that they're a bit surprised by that as the default narrative. They say, well, that that's very interesting to hear, but that's not my experience of church, uh, whether it's in South Korea or Indonesia or South America um, or even right here in Vancouver. But they simply um, represent uh, the face of Christianity of the church that God is bringing that looks very different than the movement from east to west, from Europe to North America, that many of our constituent denominations—that's the the roots of of our traditions.
0: Uh, tell us about the the kinds of things you teach. Yeah. So when you're in a oh, classroom, but staying on this kind of theme, like what's exciting about the classroom? Yeah. Um, you're talking about mission and yeah, some things that. There's certainly a theological element to them, but there's the practical kind of mm-hmm. on the ground, vocational or even professional element. Yeah. What is it that you engage with teaching in the classroom?
2: Right. So my area would be practical theology, and Richard will cringe when he hears that, because um, too many people hear practical theology and assume other forms of theological discourse in the academy are not practical. Impractical. Impractical. (laughs) No. I mean, in a Rick Osmer kind of sense, practical theology is just the study of Christian practice. And so under the banner of practical theology are many things, um, homiletics, pastoral care, ethics, theological field education, catechesis, mission, evangelism, and, and, and. So um, here at the Vancouver School of Theology, if folks are listening and wanted to come study with us, a part of your degree will be in what's called the PPL stream, which is the pastoral and public leadership stream. That's kind of the practical theology stream. We have lots of courses in that area. So I teach certain parts of that. I really, really love the intro to that stream, PT500. Because it's such an interesting mix of students. And I like getting first-year students because they come in in different ways. Some are nervous. They haven't been in a graduate school setting before. Others have been away from formal school for a while. Mm. Some come kind of needing to prove themselves and so forth. And it's a delightful space to be in. And in that class, every week, I give them a different spiritual practice to try out, to theologically reflect on, and to report back in. And yeah, the papers and stuff are important, but I see the growth in the experience of those practices. Um, And so, you know, for example, we looked at um, uh, stewardship recently uh, in class. And there we looked at time, talent, treasure, and terrain. And we looked at Leah Cosmo's book from Arosha Canada, Planted to talk about um, what currency has God given you at this season of your life? Is it time that you have to give? Is it a talent? Is it your treasure, of which many university students are short of? Mm. Or is it terrain? Is it, is it the way in which you walk lightly in God's creation and care for, for creation? So I teach um, in that area. Uh, bread and butter would be mission and evangelism, and trying to figure out what a credible witness to the gospel looks like in a post-Christendom Canadian setting.
0: Well put.
1: Ross, you're, you're one of the people who's the most creative in the classroom. So I think m- maybe some of the people listening to us would imagine, you know, a three-hour class, Ross is talking to the group for three hours, but, um, or, or not. Uh, but, but run us through how a class might go and who might be there and, yeah. and the, the, the newness that the technology we're using makes possible in the classroom.
2: It's so good, and um, I usually think in terms of in the classroom, if it's a three-hour class, as, as all of our classes are, I think in terms of one-third, one-third, one-third. I'm still of the old school. I love a good lecture. Um, I, don't, I don't like showing up just to talk amongst yourselves. So the first hour for me is lecture, and I think that's my responsibility as an instructor is I do my homework, I draw on good sources. Um, and then the second hour... Is, uh, is discussion on the topic. But I often bring in um, a guest speaker, and the technology makes it so easy to do that. You know, and I'll just say to a friend in ministry, hey, do, do you have a half an hour to join our students and spark discussion? And then I ma- manage and moderate the discussion that comes out of that. And then the last hour is usually the work that the students have done, a student presentation, discussion on the readings uh, for the day, But let me give you a concrete example. So in my catechesis class this fall, we've reached the point we've been working through stages, so children, teens, young adults, and so forth. Last class was seniors. So I gave my lecture on ministry with and to seniors. And then I brought in uh, Mary Dickow for uh, 25 minutes because she's a care home chaplain and she just blew the roof off the place. Students, I like I said to the students, I feel like I'm in church. Like it was just an absolutely beautiful thing to hear her testimony, her theological testimony mm-hmm. about why treating uh, seniors not as objects but subjects matter. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, the ability to bring people in... Um, subject matter experts. And then as the instructor, you're working with that, right? Then you're pulling out things from the students and you're hearing the aha moments that they're sharing and so forth. It really is a gift. And the technology, it works so, so well.
0: The students themselves, like I'd be interested to, there must, even in the years that you've been teaching, Mm -hmm. there must have been kind of changes in student body, how people come to this. When you were talking about the... uh, you love the f- the first year class yeah. you give the the serve, the the intro. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking that for a theological school, there must be people who come here. Maybe people listening to this who think. Am I religious enough for this? Like, are they, do you get students who, what what are the student, what's the student body like in terms of people who are, who are listening to you, learning these things? Yeah.
2: So I think maybe some folks listening, if they're not familiar with theological education, or it's been a while since they've kind of touched base, they might assume that everyone is early 20s all preparing in a Master Mm -hmm. of Divinity program for ordination. And I think the difference is that um, this is a a learning space for graduate theological education of which there are multiple outcomes, right? So people come in from different traditions, um, and they learn how to be in the same room together with a variety of of, opinions and so forth. And the outcomes that they're preparing for Uh, are varied, right? So, Mm. you know, in in my class, I'll even speak in terms of you may be preparing for a rattle off the usual, right? Assembly, i.e. congregational ministry, academy, um, Agora marketplace mm-hmm. ministry, uh, and 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 kind of work through the different art space ministry. Like, there's so many different outcomes that that I think that's changed and changing. That people are still praise God preparing for congregational ministry because we need it. We need mm-hmm. such quality leaders for that work. But the the sense of vocation is widening. That, um, you know, people are understanding more and more that um, theologically they are well served if they have a graduate uh, degree, no matter how they're going to do that work. Now, maybe in that way, it reflects that the church traditionally has done that for mm. them, and maybe it's not. And so they're coming, mm. uh, you know, Richard, you can comment mm. on this too. I, I think, well, Richard, maybe you could say a word about the um uh, thoughtful, engaged, generous book and how that came to be, because that's evidence of why we had to say, well, wait a minute, who is coming and how can we prepare them?
1: Yeah, we've just published a book together as the faculty. Um, uh, this comes out of our experience of orienting new students, and we discovered that to prepare them for the classroom experience, it would be good for them to know... In a nutshell, what the content will be like, and what areas they should this is be
0: before theological education. Before yeah, theological
1: education, yes, and and part of it is just what kind of person do you need to be to learn. Uh, part of it is here's some basic facts about the background of the New Testament. Uh, here's what you might expect the, the the nature of the discussion to be, and we're finding already students uh, think this is important. Uh, part of it is. Catechesis is taking place in the seminary. Yeah, um, where we used to, as Ross is saying, maybe mm. we could count on that a little bit more in the past. Now you don't assume it. Not so much. I mean, the other thing to say about our student body, I was thinking, is is it's getting younger. It is getting younger. That the average age of a a beginning student has probably gone down eight to ten years in the past seven years at the school, which is significant.
2: It is. And maybe I should clarify that when I say that people assume that everyone's kind of early 20s. We do have a lot of younger students. But here's the thing. I find the younger students even coming in, often they're in their second career. Mm. so that's a different you know when that old stereotype of everyone almost like um richard lisher's uh, open secrets book that i love so much and he describes you know going all the way through his phd and still being like 23 or something right mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah. Uh, people assume oh everyone's <laughs> like all they know is church that's the point sure. even yeah. our younger students say yeah i had a first career in music or i had a first career in social work but you know god called me into this like People come with such a fascinating mix and depth of life experience, and that cannot help but work its way into the classroom.
1: Yeah, well, the average age has gone down. We still have people right across the bandwidth yeah. because mm-hmm. some people come and study for the diaconate, for example. That's right. Uh, after they are finished a career in the academy or elsewhere. So mm. yeah. um, the life experience people bring is, is quite interesting to the classroom. You know, as
0: you, as you guys are speaking, one of the thing, things that comes to my mind, having... Going to theological school myself, and still taking classes. And like you were, you were saying uh, practical theology, right? Right away, I thought of—I think that's the title that John Swinton has at, at yes. Aberdeen, who's taught here as Love well. Love John Swinton, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and, and so anyway, one of the things I was thinking about is you guys are speaking about some of these differences in terms of connecting with a theological school or studying at a theological school. The question of the various either expectations or ideas on engagement with God mm-hmm. in, in the enterprise in the academy. And what, you know, you obviously have students who have different perspectives on that or some for somebody like me, those are some of the deepest moments when I feel that there's something spiritual has, has happened in yeah. the classroom. Yes. Um, what's some of your engagement there? Like,
2: Oh yeah. Well, even I said the other day, so I feel like I'm, I've been to church kind of thing. It happens all the time in the classroom and you know, kudos to, to Richard and his leadership. It's very clear. We are not a religious studies department. We don't do that. We're a theological graduate school in which God is not under the microscope to be, you know, poked and prodded. The majesty and the sovereignty of God is writ large over everything that we do. And so we just kind of expect God to show up. God shows up all the time in the way in which we have those aha moments. Uh, in the classroom, in grading papers. So I have a default, for example, I do a non-research reflection paper as my midterm. Took me years to figure that out. I wish someone had kind of suggested that earlier, but I eventually found my way there. And I'm very clear, you know, you don't need to go to the library for this. Don't worry, your final research paper, all library all the time, demonstrate your academic chops. But in almost all my classes, I have that as the midterm. And I sit, it's almost like an act of worship. I'm humbled by the testimony of our students. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a sense of what they've been through, but also like why they're here. And it helps me so much in the classroom to get a sense of, huh, so that's why that student has been reacting this way to these topics and so forth. Because, I don't know, they've been deeply hurt by the church mm-hmm. or they're, um, they struggle to make friends or dot, 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 right? And so there's the sense in which, um, I don't know, I think maybe for folks like Richard and myself, we, we there's a, a clear connection between the way we pastor a congregation mm-hmm. and the way we're that's professors in a college. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've i I mean, I don't know if it's it's like anecdotal or people you interact with that, that I've been in part of, you know, classes here mm-hmm. or other students that I think that kind of ethos then that's set up is, you say like not a religious studies department, but a mm-hmm. theological school. That students themselves who come come in not as like, you know, more, I'll become an expert in this, so th- so th- so that everybody else can know what an expert I am. Right. But you're entering you're entering this um, discovery together, hmm. and that that does come with great learning and academic chops, as you say yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's never the end in itself. There's there's something more there. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I don't mean to slight religious studies departments. I'm glad they're in universities, but I think about you know, folks I know who have done an undergrad in religious studies and then they've gone to a graduate theological school, not this one, and they'll say things like, well, the way that they teach the Bible in religious studies and at the seminary are identical. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, right? Like, no, they're, they're, we are a confessional-based learning environment with super high academic expectations because that's the best of, of church and
1: academy put together, right? So, that's good. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about the school is that that students kind of expect us to talk about God. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can remember. I, I teach theology, and I was teaching a section on Revelation. You know, how does God speak to us? And a student puts up her hand, and she says, "But does God speak to us now? Does God speak to you?" Um, and that's yeah. kind of up close and personal. Yeah. And yeah. now, now the discussion yeah. goes in a different direction. right yeah. and yeah. Uh, and as Ross was saying, this is this is one of the delights of of doing that teaching. Mm-hmm. I say
2: God speaks every Sunday when I see that offering plate going around. Amen.
1: (laughs) Praise the Lord. Pass the plate. So, Ross, you were gesturing in this direction, but what what do you think is unique about the way VST works? I mean, Mm. uh, not necessarily in comparison to other places, Mm -hmm. but but what do you think is unique about the life of the school just now? Yeah, so it has been a a
2: remarkable uh, transformative journey over these last several years. I would say that the school is well-positioned in many ways that we have um, a leadership team and faculty that are deeply connected to the local church um, who understand, you know, again, kind of New Begin's language that the, the local church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. That's really where people work out what it means to love and follow Jesus, and we equip people in that role. So, you know, um, faculty colleagues all the time or involved in resourcing guest preaching, mm. being involved in in local church. So that's a big, it's a big difference. When I'm speaking to colleagues in other theological institutions, that they're always surprised by that, just how deeply involved we are in the local church. And I would say that, you know, we have <laughs> kind of in a post-Christendom moment, we have kind of a sweet deal here in that we're on the UBC campus. So we have good relations, thanks in a lot of ways, Richard, to what you've been able to foster with the wider university, but we're not desperately clutching for validation from the wider university. Mm-hmm. We have the independence to fulfill the mission that the Board of Governors has set down for this school, um, but we're not kind of chasing after, you know, uh, are, we, are we valued and appreciated by the university? Where other schools that are more embedded, mm-hmm. uh, I have watched with my own eyes, that's highly problematic. And um, I don't think what we
0: need. In like this a moment. divinity school at a particular. Court. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think especially in this moment in Canada, that's that's a, a very challenging situation.
0: That brings to mind the location here. We're sitting mm-hmm. here in Vancouver. It just got sunny. I know. It won't which, last. It'll, yeah. it'll be gone in two seconds. Well, there's a tornado out yeah. there. <laughs> um, the, Sharknado.
1: <laughs> April's coming.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, bomb cyclone. You've learned all these new words, right? Oh, like yeah. bomb cyclone and I atmospheric know. river. It's exciting. And so here in Vancouver, where we have all these, um, you know, uh, meteorological phenomenon that we're learning about, Yeah. Uh, there's a particular ministry and theological educational context as well. Mm-hmm. Um, You've written about that uh, somewhat, but in terms of teaching, like, what is it that the Vancouver part of the Vancouver Mm. School of Theology, people would go like, oh, I'm going to wind up in Vancouver studying theology? How might that help?
2: Oh yeah, well, you're just teeing it up for me because it is, it is my passion area, my interest area. So, so why Vancouver? Hmm. So there are many scholars, and Richard and I are fans of Lynn Mark's work. She's a, a secular Jewish historian at the University of Victoria. I only mention the secular Jewish part because she doesn't have kind of a. A dog in the fight for right. Christianity. And she's done really good work on the history of Christianity in British Columbia, and does make the argument, both her uh, and uh, some of her graduate students who have published, that Christendom never existed here. Mm-hmm. Never existed, was never fully established on the West Coast. This was the place that people came to get rich fast, to extract forestry, mining, fishing, Today, what would we say? We'd say IT, filmmaking, and real estate, maybe, yeah. right? And you make a quick buck, and you're out of here. I mean, when's the last dinner party you went to in Vancouver, and someone said, so when are you leaving? When are you cashing out? That's all we do here is try and get well, rich Well, and you and can't
0: leave. talk for five minutes without the price of housing. Yeah, yeah,
2: right? exactly. So, so why Vancouver? Vancouver is a fascinating place in that we don't have the legacy of Christendom in the same way so, that, so in other words, we don't have the fumes of Christendom. It's clear mm-hmm. here that, that uh, people can be good without God. We have um, deep Vancouverites, affable agnostic Vancouverites, from my research and my writing, um, deeply value Indigenous culture. That's important because Christians have to figure out how do we um, restore and repair and move forward in our relationship with Indigenous people. There's a high value on environmentalism here that we would say kind of creation, right, creation care. And we are Pacific Rim, right? Mm -hmm. And so while we have been wringing our hands, worrying about the decline of the franchises of Western Christendom, God somehow has been bringing people from Asia um, and uh, the churches that are booming here are often Pan-Asian congregations. And so we're worried about the decline of a certain kind of Christianity mm-hmm. when actually what God is doing is remarkable in other ways. So its I call it an ecclesiastical petri dish. It's an amazing place to kind of study and, and observe, including for our students that come from more traditional places, the Maritimes and so forth. When they return, they'll have an awareness of the canary in the coal mine. Here's, just here's what's coming, head. right? And so um, Vancouver, to me, A, I love living in Vancouver, right? The hardest thing about preaching heaven in Vancouver is people think they're already there. It's a beautiful place, but it's also a beautiful place to prepare for ministry because if you can figure out how to be a credible witness to the gospel here? It'll serve you well almost anywhere else in North so, America.
0: So well, I clearly did tee that up because oh, that was goodness. that was like almost like we, when we didn't have that question. We, we prepared. didn't no, but here's
2: a crisp, but you ran crisp through it, you five dollar bill notes in front of you. No, you just, just I'm all fired up. I'm all yeah. lathered up oh, great, here. I, guess I got
1: all the way to the end of page two there.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: So good. Uh, Ross, <laughs> just thinking about uh, um, you know the unique place in the world in which the school is located and the church is located here, mm-hmm. what do you th- what's the biggest challenge we face here? I mean, there's opportunities, but what, what are the challenges we face as theological educators and that you face as a professor of mission studies?
2: Yeah, so specifically around mission studies is the, the fear of never knowing enough, like every time I hear of a new church plan in Vancouver, I'm like, what, what, what where is that? Tell me about that, right? And um, so the biggest challenge is keeping up with what God is doing. Right, and um, you know, it's not a case of. I remember I had a high school, high school biology teacher, who um, used to complain that they wouldn't let him do experiments on prisoners anymore. Like he was old school, and he'd put down. Remember the old overhead projector? They wouldn't. He'd, no, I know he was all upset about that. <laughs> we we're like all, uh, and uh, he put down the overhead projector. Remember those? Oh yeah, we had them in church. And, and in the top right-hand corner, it said 1962, which was the year he started teaching. And he's like, okay, here's here's what we're gonna do. You. Can't do that. That's that's a beautiful challenge. You can't just like I I'm always rewriting my lectures. You can't do it either. You can't you don't, experiment yeah, I, I, on prisoners <laughs> either. I don't mean <laughs> or that. or use the overheads. No, exactly. What I mean is you can't just say here's my subject matter. It's the same as last year. Yeah. So so the pressure then is on. Am I keeping up with what God is doing? Um. You know. So for example, next week in in the catechesis class, it's catechesis and community, and we're looking at uh, house churches. Well, we now have students in the class who are part of house churches, not just here, but like around the world. It's really growing. And now, so I'm, what, I'm the expert. I'm not the expert. So I was emailing today saying, can you do like a 15 minute presentation? Because I don't know, like I want to learn. So I'm constantly, so that's the good part. But it is challenging because you want to be, you want to be representative of what God is doing. So constantly staying up on these changing patterns of mission, I find um, a good challenge.
1: Do you find, so in your work as a professor of mission studies, there's a cluster of terms that mainline Protestantism has, how should we say, allergies to? <laughs> I mean, uh, the so, E word? Yeah, saying the E word without blushing, yeah, you know, right. or or mission or outreach. Um, What's the E word? Uh, d- 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 evangelism. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at a different E. We'll tell you afterwards. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, how, how do you navigate all of that? Well, so
2: I think, you know, being clear on terms, um, on definitions, on, um, you know, on acknowledging that we have made critical errors in mission history in the church. Mm -hmm. I was a big fan, am a big fan, but man, he died too young. Uh, Bill Plaker, he's such a huge PCUSA theologian. Amazing. I remember always saying like, you know, when it came to, um, to bad parts of our church history, we just need to be honest and say we've had a long run. We're human beings. We're fallible, sinful creatures. We've done bad things. Don't try and defend the indefensible is what he said. So that's part of it. But, you know, I don't dwell too much on that because Mm -hmm. um, it it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's easy to kind of tend more lashes to the back for this or that. Instead, the challenge is actually before us to say, okay, so, so what does participating in God's mission look like today when so many people um, don't have any kind of background, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, so I tell stories of, for my students, and they get it. So you want to talk about evangelism. Oh, it's a difficult word to ever say. Okay, so I'm uh, preaching in a small town in BC this summer. Sit down in the barber chair, and she says, uh, uh, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. She says, what's that? I thought, oh, well, kind of joking. I said, like, I'm a Christian minister. Oh, I don't really know what that's about. And she said, are you the people who knock on doors? I'm like, well, not really, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And she was just in a small town of BC. I would say she was one of the most thoroughly secular people I've met. So I'll just put that in front of the students say, so... How do you share the gospel with someone like that, right? Don't tell me all the bad stereotypes how to share the gospel. Yeah, that's easy. That's low-hanging fruit. Literally, continue the conversation. What would you say? How would you describe the uniqueness of Jesus Christ to this person when all they've heard is Jesus as a swear word? What does that mean, right? Because if we can't equip our leaders to do this work, how are they equipping their people in the christian communities they serve to do this work so it's urgent it's urgent urgent work for us to equip people in mission and evangelism
0: it's it's such a, a positive way of thinking about it, and it's where energy comes from about moving forward too right is is that it is something it is something to acknowledge and continue to seek to understand the excesses or problems of the past right but but the feeling around here is not to den- to deny any of that no but no. that there is also Okay, w- what are we here for now, right. and where are we going, and how can we do better? Yeah, um, and so it's it's nice to see. So, questions like, "Is this evangelical, or is this the school of this?" and right. they, they, Those aren't the interesting questions around here. They're worth talking about. Sure, but they're but the pigeonholing is not. Yeah. So thanks, mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Russ. When you're talking about that, there's always optimism in your voice <laughs> there is and so so i mean i guess my question is what why are you hopeful yeah um, because you know as you say there, there is this past that people keep pointing to and then there's prospects mm-hmm. that, that you're talking about so what what keeps you hopeful in the work that you do
2: yeah i, I think part of it is understanding mission to be god's very nature that as the father has sent the son has sent the spirit has sent the church and so we're participating in what God is actually doing in the world. If it was all up to us, then it would be terribly depressing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I come across as an optimistic person, but I am more hopeful than anything else because the gospel makes me hopeful, right? And so I'm mindful that my best efforts, that's not the calculus of what God can accomplish in the world. And instead, I've just in congregational ministry and now in the college, I've, I've been humbled by seeing what God is up to. And I hope to be able to pass some of that encouragement on. I mean, Barnabas is kind of my favorite, biblical character i think encouragement just now in particular we need a lot of encouragement in the church
1: mm. and selling a field in vancouver is significant it sure
2: is but you don't want to end up like ananias and Sapphira. that that's uh, boy that was the worst session meeting ever when two prominent people fall dead at the session Half table of a field in vancouver well <laughs> <laughs> even Story so end up different. even so that's true yes yes well
0: thank you very much for uh, for being here and having this conversation and, and getting to talk about mission in particular and many of these practical things, uh, blessings in your work as well. Thanks Thanks so
1: much. much. Great. And thank you, Ross, again. And thanks Todd for your, your uh, leadership and for Allison, who's producing Allison Williams, who's producing our program for today.
0: Thank you. Terrific. Bruder Holtz is a production of the Vancouver School of Theology. For more information about VST, visit vst.edu. Thanks for listening to Bruno Rolls.